be, folks. Welcome to another episode of The Business of Freelancing. Today, we're going to talk about our experiences with burnout and what's worked for us to buffer against burnout and make sure we're taking care of ourselves, both physically and mentally, to not go down that burnout path yet again. Today, our hosts are Reuven. Hey there. Eric. Hi, everybody. Jeremy. Hey, y'all. Mark. Hi. And I'm Kai. Burnout. It's it's no heckin' fun. Uh, I know that in the past, I've always I've always thought of it as just like running into a cement wall. I think I'm doing fine. I'm going at a good pace and just smack down into it. And then I'm on the floor, just passed out for a while. How about you guys? Like when you've run into burnout, what's triggered it or how have you noticed it or how does it affect you? So when we first raised this as a topic for the show, I said, I know that burnout is a real problem, but I haven't really experienced it. And then I thought and I realized, no, that's not actually true. Um, and basically, I experienced it a lot when I was doing client work. And it just I, – I, I, I was sort of frustrated. In fact, not sort of. I was extremely frustrated because – and you've probably had this also. When you're doing client work, and I was doing a lot of client work um, or sort of web development and programming stuff, and no project actually sort of ended well. It was always – okay, we launched, now we can do it without you. That was sort of the best case scenario. But a normal case was, well, we're going out of business or we've run out of money or we don't like you or some combination of the above. And at a certain point, I was just really frustrated that nothing ever seemed to come to completion. And what was it all worth? And why am I doing this? All these sorts of existential problems. And so, and questions. And I I talked to a family friend about this who's a professor of management. And he had the answer, which all professors have, which is go do a PhD. That will solve your problems. (laughs) Um, And it did solve my problems in that it made the previous problems seem smaller. That's true. Uh, And you could argue that in some ways I I was going to get burned out of the PhD. But I think my solution has actually been not the academic route, but rather um, switching what I did and having switched to the training I feel like it's aligned so much more with what I like doing, what I enjoy, with variety, and without that existential dread that happens so often with my projects, that I really have been able to go now for a good number of years without feeling that again. And it's very refreshing, you know? Yes. So much of it is sort of the, it's like the medium we end up in to abuse a metaphor. Like if we're just floating in these stressful situations, client work that goes middlingly okay, it does rack up a toll on the body and the mind. Yeah, for me, I can tell that I'm starting to feel burnout. Well, like at first, I didn't recognize this as a symptom of feeling burnt out. It was just that I would feel uh, like I've got all this stuff to do, but can't find anywhere to start. And nothing, like just getting going is hard. And, you know, there's there's some level of that in just normal everyday life. Like you got to sit down and kind of make yourself go. And then once you go, you kind of build up momentum. But for me, when I'm starting to feel burnout, that just gets more and more so. And I can find myself, you know, sitting at the computer for three hours, acting like I'm doing work, but not actually doing any work. And like my tricks of getting started just kind of don't seem to get me over that hill of actually gaining momentum and getting into it. And it's just like, I'm pushing the boulder up the hill constantly. 
and never feeling like I'm making any progress. Uh, and that's always a good sign for me that, okay, it's time to step away. I need to get a little, you know, let my mind take a break, have some time off, find ways to kind of recharge. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I feel like a lot of people, when they think about burnout, they think of like one specific event and then they just kind of like collapse in exhaustion afterwards. But I find, and I'm kind of hearing from you guys too, that I can, I feel like it can start to manifest in so many different ways, but there's this sort of hindsight 2020 that makes you realize, oh, that was burnout. So you might not know when you're in it. Like I know for me, looking back on situations, yeah, exhaustion happens, but I always feel like that's almost the last thing that happens. One of the first things that I've been able to pinpoint is almost this, and I didn't anticipate it until like looking back on it, but almost this like anger and resentment. And like you were saying, Ruben, that comes a lot of times from like unfulfilling client work. Um, cause it can be just this like, okay, well, as soon as a project starts, like now it's a slog to get to the end of it. And then once the end of it's reached, like what are, what is the payoff? And if the only payoff is the fact that it's over, that's like a really, <laughs> that's a fast track to burnout for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I've found it manifests for me in kind of, um, if I think back on it, it's, and, and this is going to sound weird, but like a mix of like uh, anger, resentment, and apathy at the same time, where um, I, I'm apathetic in that I almost stop caring what happens and I just want to be done with the situation. Uh, exhaustion can be mixed in there, but it's usually that's, and, and, uh, I'm with you in in that, like, I think I've learned that more in retrospect than I would perceive it as burnout at the time. Like over the years, if you had asked me what burnout meant, I, I would have conflated that with like nervous breakdown or whatever you call it, where like you just cease functioning. But I've realized that I've gone through these times where, um, you know, I'm much less happy about the work that I'm doing than other times. It's unrewarding. And I almost feel like, you know, if, if this client fired us or, or what have you, like good, like I, <laughs> I just want to be done with it. Um, <laughs> So that's something I've historically recognized a lot and I've kind of worked back over the years to like, um, okay, recognizing that, what are some earlier signs of it happening? And I think, um, uh, you know, I can recognize it sometimes in like subtle changes of behavior, like, um, you know, it's nice to have a, a, a cold beer every now and then on weekdays, but if I find myself often on weekdays thinking like, man, uh, I could really use a drink right now. Like that, that's an earlier sign, things of that nature, that there are like <laughs> subtle behavior changes. Uh, another one that I noticed um, over the years was that I would start to get like more sarcastic or, you know, snarky or, or, or more negative um, than I usually am as a person. And that was another good indicator that I was heading in that direction. So I think there's probably an ability to start to recognize signs and work backwards uh, to maybe try to head it off earlier than later. Yeah. The snarkiness, like I find myself doing that a lot too. And I always keep, it took me a while again to realize, but that that being a symptom of it. And I found that I started falling back into that, like us versus them mentality of, of, of client work, um, which I find a lot of developers that I talk to sort of fall into it, that the client is, it's no longer sort of an ally. The client becomes almost like this, this enemy or a hurdle to overcome in and of themselves. So yeah, I really resonate with like the, the apathy as well, almost as like a, 
like a defense mechanism too, like a way of a way of sort of protection. It'll it'll occasionally hit me as well in the form of a, a like an apathy at remedying the situation. Stuff sucks right now. Oh my god, I feel burnt out. But maybe I deserve this. Why shouldn't it feel hard? Why shouldn't it feel bad? And that's usually a sign like, oh my gosh, I'm like into, I'm far into the burnout process. Like I'm going to start pulling up as hard as I can. But when it starts manifesting as like that lack of desire or motivation to fix it and remedy the burnout, that's a hard spot to get out of. Well, that's the thing. I, I, I think my initial understanding of burnout or my understanding for a long time was, you know, oh, you just can't work on things anymore. Like you're totally burned out, you're frazzled and such. But it seems, both for me and for all of you folks, it's not that. It's just like, a, oh, my God, do I really have to do this? You don't want to do it. You've lost your motivation, even if you're still good at doing it. And that, like at the end of the day, we are being hired not only as experts, but enthusiastic experts. We're in the service industry. And if we aren't – like you, you, someone can be a great waiter at a restaurant, but – if they're not happy to be serving you or at least putting on airs about it, then like bad news for them and bad news for you. So yeah. And, and that, that, that can happen so easily. Since we've all been through some version of burnout or burnouts, what are like tactics or systems or processes you've started to implement or you've seen in retrospect? Oh, if I have something like this in place, it could help buffer against or help me pull out of the situation if it comes up again. So something that's been very helpful for me is having regularly scheduled social gatherings that, you know, that's harder to do currently, but I mean, even still every week I have two or three different zoom calls with people just to hang out and talk. And, you know, like for me, it would usually be, Hey, we're going to go meet up for happy hour on Monday after work. And for me, that's a handy way to kind of know that, okay, on Monday, the workday is going to stop at a reasonable time. And then I'm going to go do something that disengages me mentally from my work. Because without doing that kind of thing, it's real easy for me to just get into the habit of work, 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 you know, work in the office all day and then pick up the laptop, take it into the living room, sit on the couch, turn on the TV, keep working. Um, and even when it's stuff that I am enjoying doing and can see the purpose in and feel like there are good rewards at the end of it, just the sheer volume of, you know, trying to do 60 hours in a week can burn you out real quick. And it doesn't even have to be all of that, you know, bad work with bad clients that isn't exciting. You know, you can burn out doing it exciting, fun stuff by just trying to do too much of it for too long. Uh, and so for me, scheduling purposefully things that cause breaks uh, help a lot. Yeah, I, I would echo um, what you're saying there. And depending on the type of business, like if you're a solo consultant, freelancer, um, this may not apply to you. But one of the things I found, and actually as recently as like a month ago, um, that triggers burnout is the overwork uh, associated with like for our business hit subscribe hiring too late. I found that over and over again, I've hired uh, for a role or something way too late. And it's after I'm kind of in this stage of burnout. And then I hire somebody, whether it's to do account management or recently some sales consulting that I was trying to do essentially on nights and weekends. Um, 
I wound up looking back at that and thinking I am such a fool for not making this hire earlier. Um, so whether it's hiring, whether it's fixing the scope of what you're doing, because that was another thing I used to do too that would sort of uh, help with burnout is, is I would do like shorter scoped engagements, you know, where familiarity with the client wouldn't breed contempt, you were moving on a little. So I guess whether whatever your mechanism for kind of putting a bound on the amount of work you're doing, uh, hiring, fixing the length or scope or nature of the engagement, I think that really helps a lot. Vacations. Vacations. I was terrible, terrible about taking them for many, many years, including when I was first married and had kids. And I'd be like, well, I have to work because, you know, we can't afford other things. And we do these very quick, not really, you know, big vacations. I'm not saying a short, small vacation is, is a bad thing, but actually going away for two weeks, not doing work or doing like a very small amount of work. I was so convinced for so long that if I did that, the business would collapse. The world would probably collapse. You know, the universe <laughs> would turn in on itself. But other than that, um, it turns out not to be the case. And it's also good for for your work because you'll approach it with fresh eyes. You'll get new experiences you can incorporate into it. And you just can't keep working forever. Even, even I, who work a lot, um, often too much, uh, it has been a breath of fresh air to take vacations and discover just how good that is for me. And quite frankly, also, uh, you know, my relationship with my family. Yeah, big time. I know, Jeremy, you touched on it a little bit, too, um, of like having specific social engagements. And I think that uh, sort of your inner circle really has an impact on at least for me, how how easily or how fast I burn out. Uh, and I think that includes the clients as well, too. So I think the biggest factor for sure for me has been carefully careful selection of clients who are right for you. And ultimately learning that saying no to a client means you're doing both, both you and them a favor. Uh, so learning about like who you surround yourself with client-wise and making sure it's the right fit. And then the other component of that, too, I think is really assessing your inner circle, like the people you spend your time with outside of outside of work, because I know a lot of people too, who have experienced burnout. And a lot of it's because they have, they have family maybe who's not supportive, or they have friends who just don't understand kind of what they're struggling or going through, because they have these sort of quote, unquote, regular nine to five jobs, so they don't know a lot of what goes into sort of freelance and entrepreneurship. So I was also talking to someone else too, who said that it was uncommon to have a group of friends who like hyped you up. And I was like, wait a second, that's all me and like me and my girlfriends do with each other is just like hype each other up whenever we're talking to each other. And apparently that's like, that's not super common. So I would encourage anyone listening, if someone is not like constantly hyping you up and totally on your team. Of course you can have disagreements, but it's so important like energetically who you keep close. And that being said too, I have pushed people away and kept them at arm's length. And sometimes that means family if they're not supportive of what you're doing. Um, so absolutely be ruthless with your relationships for sure. I completely, completely agree with that, Marg. It uh, it reminds me of that old adage that, what is it? Uh, you are the average of your five closest friends or five closest relationships. And so often in life, I've seen myself hit burnout when I have positive relationships, but 
they also tend towards the, hey, let's work 60, 70 hours a week. Let's just push a little harder. And in some contexts, that's great. Like, let's get that thing shipped. Let's get that burning man camp going. Let's do this crazy, hairy, audacious goal. But if it's week in, week out, oh, you you know, you stopped work at 40 hours, you're giving up a little too easy. It could start to kind of poison the soul or poison that mentality. One thing that helps me a lot in not letting myself overwork is having hobbies that are constructive and creative where I feel like I'm doing something instead of consuming something. Like if I'm, you know, I, I love playing video games. I love watching movies, reading, but all of those are consumption activities. And after too very long of that, I start to feel antsy and kind of like, okay, now I need to do something productive and having hobbies that feel constructive and productive that aren't directly work help a whole lot because when I start to feel like, Hey, I want to do something on a weekend. I don't have, you know, my doing something doesn't always have to be reaching for work. It can be, Hey, I'm going to go out and take some photos or I'm going to process some photos that I took previously, or I'm going to go in the studio and make some music or mix a track or, you know, something that still gives me that kind of creative and productive payoff, but isn't the same thing that I do day in and day out during the week. And just that being able to mix it up and have uh, some variety helps me a, a whole lot. I don't know if you, you, you've ever, you folks have, have heard this term before. My father-in-law introduced me to the phrase, a busman's holiday. And <laughs> like, so a bu- busman is like a bus driver. And so what does a bus driver do on vacation? takes a bus somewhere, right? No, they don't do that because they do that all the time. <laughs> and so if you are a programmer and you say, oh, you know, I'm going to do a relax. I'm going to write some code. That's basically a busman's holiday, right? You should do something that's different, separate, um, not related to work. Um, I mean, so like music, classic sort of example, that that is definitely not my thing. Uh, not if people want to listen to it. But like, I mean, year, years ago, or years ago, like five, six years ago, I started uh, learning Chinese and I find it's so much fun and refreshing. It's also practical, like for when I go there, for sure. But part of the fun for me is I'm in the student's chair. I'm not teaching. I'm not in charge. I'm just sort of exercising my brain, trying something. And it has nothing whatsoever to do with my work. And that it's like gives me a kick every day. It's great. Yeah, I totally agree. Like I was, I'm so used to like you guys building stuff that's digitally and that kind of exists in the ether. So once I got my van, which that was one of the big drivers for it too. And I was like, I need, it was so fulfilling starting to be able to build something physically. And then all of a sudden, cause you're so used to building these digital things. And all of a sudden there's this like physical thing in in front of you, it gives you like this little, it gives you like a little rush and you're like, oh yeah, this is so so satisfying that there's this thing that exists that I made that I didn't know how to make before. And like you said, Ruben, you're, um, I would joke and say that I went to like YouTube university because basically you can learn anything <laughs> on YouTube. So, um, going in these like really deep dives of these crazy YouTube niches is also so interesting to me. Like people who specialize in, um, like solar panels for RVs, Like there's people who just have like a super narrow niche and hundreds of thousands of views, which is like, yeah, it's so crazy. So it's interesting to sort of go down those alleyways too. But yeah, I agree. Making something 
outside of the stuff you're you regularly make it's super satisfying I guess it's always hard for me to not take the busman's holiday because I love digital stuff. And when I think of like, oh, let me do this cool project, 70% of the time it's something web-based or touches on marketing. And there's an odd push-pull where it feels like, oh my God, this is the same thing I do in my job. Where is that difference? But it also could be like, and I'll just use the standard thing of like Burning Man stuff, but it could be something web-related in Burning Man. And it does scratch that, ooh, this is fun, this is creative, this is building something new itch. And for me, learning to... I guess, better pull back at times and sometimes move forward saying, hey, this is fine, even though it's sort of the same context or, yeah, it's the same context, but maybe I should go lift some weights or go on a bike ride or do something else. It's a hard skill to build, but one I'm excited to practice more and more. Yeah, I I agree that the busman's holiday isn't always a bad thing. Like, yeah, I I have definitely had times when my getaway hobby is, hey, I'm going to write some code for something that I want to exist, not something that my client wants to exist. And just that little flip of that bit of kind of ownership and, uh, you know, creative freedom is, can be a big thing. uh, And, you know, can be a way that you can kind of practice your skill in your trade on your own time for your own benefit. Um, But with, you know, maybe without treading quite so close to burnout. So Kai, you mentioned something there that, that I think it's important to touch on because this is huge for me, which is exercise. Uh, one of the best ways that I've found um, to sort of, you know, I don't know if it's like in an acute situation, it would do anything about burnout, but to generally avoid it is to exercise pretty regularly. Just in a day, like one of the things I've actually taken to doing is if I have a particularly a difficult or taxing interaction of some sort, or I have a particularly sensitive email, I'll have to send something like that. I will back off, go out for a jog. And after going jogging, I'll feel immediately better. Um, and I think that that helps keep me sane in a lot of ways. And, and I think that probably I have to imagine that regularly exercising is good for just generally your mental outlook and whatnot. It's not the kind of thing I would say, if you find yourself in burnout land, go for a quick jog and you'll be fine. But I think regularly doing it helps in a lot of ways. And I think it's a, a thing I would wholeheartedly endorse to anybody um, to get into a, an exercise regimen. Yeah, completely agreed. It has been transformational for me, both on the burnout or the stress side or the anxiety side, just being able to practice backing away for a couple minutes or an hour, moving the body, getting, you know, the, the, the blood flowing, the systems moving, and then coming back to it. It's so positive on the micro and so positive on the macro just to, I guess, move your body, feel the wind go through your hair, feel your muscles sing. That's very poetic, but also true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think even, I mean, of course, the, uh, the benefits just of exercise in general, but I think the even the psychological component of physically removing yourself from like a situation that you're like almost stewing in. I know I've been in that situation before too, where if somebody, something comes in, you know, you have to write either a really difficult email or you have to uh, refund someone or something like that. Even just like staying in that stagnation of it can, uh, can keep sort of bringing things down. So even physically removing yourself, even for just as a, as a temporary fix and then sort of the overarching, benefits of exercise in general for stress, for stress relief, a hundred percent. 
for sure. Yeah, when I go for a jog, sometimes it, it, I have the illusion briefly that I'm literally running away from the problem. Yeah. And then that actually feels like pretty satisfying for a few minutes. And, you know, the runner's high when you get back and everything. I find that whenever I do that, I feel a lot better afterwards and it lasts. So the situation doesn't seem as hard to deal with. And I think, I guess, stewing in the problem is a good way to put it because it really feels like that. I can fixate on it. And that break, that going jogging snaps me out of it. And I'll usually come back thinking like, I don't know why I found this such a big deal. Sure, this is unpleasant, but I'll, I'm fine. I can deal with this. Yeah, there was, a, there was a long period of time like over the last year when I would take very long walks. Like if I was working from, working from home, I would walk for like an hour or two in the morning. And we lived near some like parks and nature reserves and I was able to walk past them. And besides the sort of exercise component, just being out in nature um, was very refreshing. And when I started doing it, I said, oh boy, for an hour to a day, I can't afford that kind of time. And you can, and you totally like get it back. I don't know exactly how it worked, but I definitely felt like I get it back. And more recently between lockdowns and everything and hot weather. So I've been doing more exercising at home on a treadmill and maybe like for physical exercise, that's better, but there's definitely something that's, that's lacking about not being out in nature and seeing the trees swaying and the, you know, birds singing. I've definitely had similar, can I afford to take this time, you know, away from the stressful project, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, and lately, I've started to flip the mindset around to, can I afford to not step away, to not go out, to not take that break? And the older I get, the more I realize, no, I need it. This is what makes everything else work better. So, Mark, you said something about kind of psychologically getting yourself out of stagnation uh, that made me remember another time that I've felt really burned out. And it was when I was just kind of generally, I wasn't really overworking, but I was overcommitted. And I had too many groups or activities that I had said I would be involved in. And then I was doing a poor job at all of them. And the like, there was just some guilt there and some psychological stagnation, I think is a great way to put it, where it was just felt hard to kind of move forward on some of them. And luckily, they were all groups and organizations that were, you know, set up around having many volunteers and other people to be able to carry things when somebody else was having a busy week or whatever. But I had kind of gotten to a point where just week after week after week, I was, you know, not doing as much as I should have been for like organizing the local uh, Ruby developers meetup. And my other organizers were doing a lot of work. And after a while, I realized, you know what, I just need to make it clear to everybody that I'm not going to do this. And I'm no longer committed to it and that, you know, if they need help from other people, they should recruit additional organizers because I'm not going to be there doing that. And, you know, it was already clear to everybody that I was already not doing those things and hadn't been for several months. Um, but just kind of finally realizing that, okay, yeah, it's, it's time to say what's obvious that I'm not doing this and I don't plan to do it in the future just was like a, giant psychological release valve uh, where a lot of pressure just suddenly evaporated because I'm no longer, you know, there was no longer any sort of illusion for anybody that I'm supposed to be doing these things. It's now clear that, nope, I'm not supposed to be doing these things. And so I don't have to think about it. I don't have to feel guilty about not doing it. Uh, and that was a huge uh, relief and really helped me get over a period of burnout just by saying, 
nope, I'm, I'm no longer involved in this. Yeah. Removing prod, removing work things and personal things. If you can do some of that, boy, think the things you have left, first of all, you get to choose and they can be the things that really do excite you. But it's just you feel much less weight on your shoulders. You feel much less pressure. And I, I yeah, I, I thoroughly concur. Yeah, overcommitting is a big one. I mean, I think of times probably second to say hiring too late that overcommitting slowly but surely to a bunch of things is a source of burnout. I think for me, because obviously it takes up a lot of time and headspace, but um it leads to this feeling where you're making an inch of progress a week on 20 different things at once, which is a super unsatisfying feeling. It feels like you're, you're committed to all this stuff and none of it's going all that well. And uh, I, I've tried to make it a point over the years to periodically audit everything I'm doing and say, you know, what can I articulate on what I'm actually getting out of this? Um, you know, maybe I'm volunteering for all these different things or it can even be things like hobbies or stuff with friends or family. But if you kind of look at all this through a lens and say like, what do I strictly need to do in any given week? And then here are kind of the nice things to do. Which ones of these can I maybe just stop doing and reclaim some of my sanity here? I think that's a, that's a great one to bring up is this overcommitting that maybe doesn't happen all at once, but one thing at a time. Yeah, definitely. For me, it was keep adding one thing that sounded cool to be involved in and that I was excited about in the beginning. And then, you know, eventually just got to Oh, dang. Every single night of my week is committed to <laughs> something and I don't have any, you know, designated sit on the couch and do nothing nights. Uh, and, you know, that that's not good. You don't want to get there. Yeah. And like you're saying, too, it can really it can totally kind of creep up on you because you're taking one thing after the other. And uh, like you're saying, too, the. You, if you can sort of sit back and understand where, when that point happens, where it's like, no, I need to start getting rid of these things. I need to, I need to scale back. If you don't do that, um, and this is what I experienced probably about 2017 when I had the worst burnout I've had, is that if you don't do that, your body will do it for you. So if you don't, if you don't get rid of the things that are or if you, yeah, if you don't get rid of the things that are contributing to your burnout over time, you're physically, it will manifest and physically it will do it for you. So in 2017, um, I had, I was, my business was ramping up. It was interesting because there's tons of stories for 2017, but it, it was an interesting time because my business was busy. It was ramping up. I was ramping up to an agency level. We had like, um, we had an office in Liberty Village, if anyone's in Toronto, they know where that is. But we had an office there. Uh, things were ramping up and I was taking on a lot of projects, some of which in retrospect were not in my best interest to take on. And ultimately, um, I had some underlying health conditions that were managed at the time, but they just blew up and got out of control. Unfortunately, the health conditions were... Uh, accompanied by severe blood loss. So I ended up in emergency room probably once every couple of months and then eventually had to get blood transfusions weekly on and sometimes eventually on like a biweekly basis. And for sure, of course, you don't know because you're in it, but 100% it was because I didn't manage my stress levels. I didn't manage myself physically and when your blood levels get so low, you can't exercise anymore because you're just your body just can't carry the oxygen. So 
if I've learned anything, it's if you don't deal with the psychological components of burnout, your body will physically stop you. Wow. <laughs> 2017 was a roller coaster. We can get in. There's a lot of client stuff that we can definitely get into in client stories. But that was like the major lesson of the burnout, 100% for sure. And the recovery after is like almost a year. So it takes a while once you've sort of hit that level of like, okay, I surrender to getting back to where you are, um, where you can trust your decisions again, where you can and where you end up in a good place, both like mentally and physically to move forward for sure. Yeah, definitely. When I've been seriously burned out, it has not been a take the weekend off or take a long weekend and come back the next week and everything's fine. It was months of, oh, this sucks. Everything sucks. I need, you know, trying to figure out how to do less and try to find good outlets for creative energy. Uh, yeah, it's it's hard once you get seriously burned out to to find a way back. So there, there was this uh, professor in my graduate program who had studied uh, robotics for many, many years. And he explained to us that one of the things that he had done in his research was, as we can imagine, like making robots think. And how do they think? <laughs> With lots of logic. And over the last decade or two, he realized, wait a second, emotions are not something that we want to or can disconnect from thought. Emotions are the context in which we think. And if we're like removing emotions from robot thought, then we're removing everything that makes it like human and thought possible. And the moment he said that, I was like, oh my God, when I'm angry, right? That's the context in which I'm thinking. It changes my whole thought process. And when I'm burned out, frustrated, confused, right? Like I'm sure you've all had the, oh, and he's stupid and she's stupid and they're wrong and they're wrong. Right. And, and I mean, or I've heard rumors that people are like this, regardless, <laughs> like basically like when, when you're feeling burned out, it's going to affect your decision-making ability. It's going to affect how you do your job, how you are with other people. And it's going to take a while to sort of remove yourself from that stew and get into a better place. It almost requires like wholesale lifestyle change to uh, uh, shift from, hey, this is where I was to, okay, I finally feel better. And week compared to week, I'm putting a little more energy in the tank each week instead of continuing just to run on empty. But for me, at least in the midst of that, it's so hard to A, notice it, B, accept it, and C, actually manifest that change when it's just like 0% energy on my part. Yeah. And it can also be 0% optimism. And mm -hmm. as a business owner and entrepreneur, you really need a healthy dose of optimism <laughs> to be able to make things work. Uh, you know, you, you need to be optimistic that risks are going to pay off and that, you know, things are going to work out right. And if you're lacking in optimism, uh, you're, you're in for a hard streak of business. One thing I've started doing, and this is only a recent change in the past month or so, but I've started to look week by week at both the number of meetings I have and the number of deliverables I have, just because I'm realizing if I have like 17 meetings in a week, which happened a couple months ago, or like there's four separate delivery dates and due dates in a single week, that's just so taxing to manage it, to get that output to that point and move it forward. I've started just saying like, okay, I could only have, you know, a maximum of two meetings per day and eight meetings per week or two or three due dates or delivery dates per week. 
just to make sure I'm giving myself that capacity. And sometimes I might push a little further and say, okay, let's add another couple of meetings in. But it, it takes that act of mindfulness just to notice and commit to doing a little less than you can. It doesn't always need to be that one heavy push to get the thing done. How about for you guys? What are, I guess, the tactics in a day or a month you've started uh, putting in place to help buffer against burnout happening again? It's I've, I've actually done the same thing kind of recently as you, where I'm looking at my weeks now and I'll have meetings that are less important than others and just say, I don't have an exact hard cap, but I'll look at the week and see a lot of meetings and say, you know, these are some that I'm included on. I'm just going to skip this week because like I have figured out um, meetings, especially to an extent if I have deliverables, I don't really have that many deliverables I'm personally responsible for, but the meetings is a big one. And I think probably if there's anything, you know, maybe if anyone listening out there, if you're introverted, a meeting might take more out of you than if you're an extrovert. Like if you figure out what kind of saps your energy uh, and put a hard limit on that, I think that's a great tactic. And like you, I've been trying to make a point to do that myself. Yeah. Cutting down, cutting down on meetings for sure. Exercise has definitely been up there. And I think going hand in hand with exercise, Eric, you touched on it really briefly, but um, I stopped I stopped drinking. I was like, I didn't stop altogether. Uh, but for the most part, I would say like 90 something percent. I stopped drinking. Um, I didn't think that having one or two drinks a day was a big deal. But like you're saying too, if things start to, if things, if the pressure rises and things start to get more stressful, I found that there was a definitely a correlation with the amount of drinks that happened once things started to get more stressful. Um, so just understanding that that was a bit of a coping mechanism for me and stopping um, and stopping drinking has helped because it helped, I mean, ultimately helping your sleep too. Um, so I think not only exercise, proper sleep, and mm-hmm. I know developers are brutal for this, so it, it was hard because <laughs> you're used to staying up until three in the morning just to get, get the thing done. But I can guarantee you, anyone that's listening, you will come to the answer much faster on a well-rested brain than, uh, than you will at three in the morning, for sure. Uh, so I think that's probably a, definitely cutting back on alcohol, making sure I'm diligent about sleep and uh and exercise and also uh and also therapy i was always for the longest time like i don't need therapy (laughs) but um even if it's not every week it's uh just being able to talk to someone that's because ultimately if there's things that are that are hard that are happening and burnout can be one of those things it's not the responsibility of your friends and family to take that on. Of course, talk to them. But I do think that um, I never want to bring any issues that I have that aren't resolved into uh, into what a personal relationship that I really value. So that's why I decided to go down the route of therapy. I'm like, it's not the problem of my friends and it's not the problem of my family. So let's deal with this so that I can show up in the best way that I can for the people around me that I love. Beautifully said. Uh, uh, Therapy has also been really impactful for me. One internal reframe that helped was similar to what you shared. Instead of it being like, oh gosh, something's broken or I'm broken, I've started thinking about it as, hey, when this situation happens, this is what my response is like. Maybe, you know, client doesn't do a thing or something gets blown past and I get stressed or get angry or just feel this click where response and therapy has been great just as a 
accepting space to say, hey, this keeps happening. I keep reacting in this way. Maybe I'm not sleeping well. Maybe I'm eating poorly. Maybe I get stressed. I don't like that. How could I change that? And just being able to have that dialogue with a therapist and start nudging some of these internal responses has been hugely impactful. So I think the the kind of to circle back, uh, the idea of limiting meetings definitely helps a lot. And it may sound counterintuitive since kind of one of the the themes that we've talked about sort of is don't work too much, but I think it can be helpful to block out times to do actual real deep work uh, where you're going to, you know, shut down the mail client, shut down Slack, put the phone on do not disturb and get two or three hours strung all together to tackle that big task that you have in front of you. Or, you know, especially if there are things that you're not particularly excited about doing, you know, set a time for, okay, I'm going to handle that at three o'clock on Thursday and just get it out of the way. Um, You know, kind of making time to do the work that needs done instead of trying to fit it in around meetings and the fire of the day and, you know, whatever else happens to come up every day can help just in, uh, I guess, predictability of sort of what your week looks like and how quickly things are going to get done. Should we move into uh, picks? Yeah, sounds good. For me, uh, uh, my pick for today and what I encourage for all listeners, meditation, meditation and mindfulness have made a huge difference in my stress level and burnout level. And I'm a huge fan of this app called Calm, C-A-L-M.com curated daily meditations, a huge library of meditations. And it's been wonderful just to be able to say, hey, I want to, you know, sit down and just quiet the mind for 10 or 20 minutes, grab my phone, listen to it and get a little more Zen. So strongly recommend Calm, folks. How about you, uh, Ruben? What are your uh, picks for today? So I've got two picks. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I've been studying Chinese for a while. So I will go out on a limb and encourage other people to do it as well. It is not impossible. It's actually a fairly simple language, says the person who's far from fluent five years in. But um, no, it's really, it's it's an incredibly uh, fulfilling thing. Uh, I go through a school called eChinese Learning. That's just like it sounds spelled, eChineseLearning.com. They have lots of amazing teachers. I've been very impressed. And my second pick is uh, self-promotion. Um, it should be coming out around the time that this podcast comes out. Finally, 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 my book from Manning, Python Workout, is going to be printed. I am going through the final typeset versions of everything. It's really exciting. Uh, not only am I excited to get this book out, uh, but I am extremely, extremely impressed with everything that Manning has done in terms of editing and production. And we will probably at some point talk about writing and publishing. But um, boy, oh boy, do they help make what I thought was a great book into an actually great book. <laughs> so uh, anyway, look look for Python Workout out there when you're not studying Chinese. That's <laughs> it for this week. <laughs> uh, for mine, I'm going to do, I'm going to go with a local business. So if anyone's in the Toronto area, there's a food delivery company that I've been using for about the last month now. Um, it's called Honeybee. And they use all uh, local, uh, local farmers and Basically, it's like all your meals for the week, all the macros are counted out, the calories are counted out, it's whole foods, it's all like gluten, dairy, allergy-free, all that good stuff. Um, They give you your food, drop it off at your door twice a week, and it's just circling back to burnout. It's like one less thing that's on my plate. So I don't have to grocery shop, 
everything shows up. It's already made. It's actually like really reasonably priced as well too. So honeybee delivery. Uh, I'm going to go with Splice, uh, which you can find at splice.com. I mentioned earlier that music is one of my kind of creative hobbies that lets me feel productive, but not really be working. And Splice has been very helpful in that, especially lately with the quarantine. Uh, They had, it's kind of like GitHub for music um, where I can start a, a logic session, uh, save that into Splice, and then share it with collaborators that can then download the session, add stuff to it. Splice handles all the syncing back and forth so that we have kind of just the one master copy of the session that everybody can work out of. Um, it's been really good for quarantine. You know, we've already gotten two or three new songs started Uh since I haven't been able to physically be in the same room as some of my uh, collaborators. And so it's been very helpful for that. I like it a lot. Um, so let's see, I'll do two. The first one is very uh, business-like, but um, I have been using HubSpot as, as the CRM for my business hit subscribe and using it in kind of a way where it was almost like a glorified spreadsheet. So just keeping track of companies and contacts. But recently over the last uh, three, four weeks, we brought uh, someone on to consult with sales who knew a lot about HubSpot. So he's been setting up a lot of workflows and teaching me not just how to um, use the utility and have like automations and workflows, but about how I was kind of reasoning about sales the wrong way and trying to bend the tool to fit the way I wanted it to work instead of learning how a sales cycle should work. And so for, I think we're only paying something at the moment, like um, $50 a month. It's it's HubSpot is kind of famous, I think for being really expensive, but you can get a relatively simple plan that does a lot of impressive like automations and workflows um, for this amount. So I've been very pleased with what's getting set up here. Uh, that's easy to execute. So if you're thinking of a CRM, I endorse that one. Uh, The other one I'll do is um, maybe in general. So over the weekend, my wife and I, we'd recently temporarily relocated. We're in South Dakota. And um, over this past weekend, the holiday weekend, we spent a lot of time uh, going out, like at state parks. Um, So in general, we spent time at Custer State Park, which is beautiful. If you're ever out there, I would check it out. But along the theme of avoiding burnout, um, one of the things that I find helpful is to really kind of unplug from everything for a day or two or three as the case may be. Um, And I think in this time when there's, you know, different degrees of quarantine in lots of different places, if the state or national parks or whatever are open, that's a great way to get out and get away from things without risking being close to a lot of people because, you know, there's a lot of space at state parks. You don't really need to be near anybody. Um, So, yeah, that's something I would definitely uh, get out, you know, uh, don't be stir crazy, unplug from your work and just enjoy nature. Uh, So those are my picks. Hey, folks, thanks for listening to this episode of The Business of Freelancing. If you enjoyed it, go ahead and tweet it out, share it on social, or drop a link into your favorite Slack or Discourse community. And we'll see you next time.